Well, good morning, everyone. Are you excited about summer? I think it's here. And this summer we are launching today our new summer series called Culture Shock, where our goal is to turn cultural challenges into missional opportunities. This uh, past Friday, I, uh, I was invited to an adult-only pool party. So we are members of this neighborhood pool, and it's a really nice little pool, and our kids go and everything. And every year, the adults have an adult-only pool party. And so I get this invitation every year, and I always decline it, right? I always say no because, you know, what do I have in common with these heathens? Why would I go? So Friday, I get, an, I get another Evite on Friday morning, and it's inviting me to the adult-only pool party, and, and it has three different replies, yes, no, maybe. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should go. So I clicked maybe. And then later that evening, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to this adult-only pool party. And so I noticed on the invitation, it said, uh, BYOB. What does that mean? Bring your own bathing suit. What does it mean? <laughs> bring, bring your own brats. <laughs> well, I thought it meant bring your own booze or bring your own beer. I could be wrong, um, but I think that's what it meant. So I brought, I, I, you know, I'm the kind of guy that likes to follow instructions, directions. So uh, I brought my own beer, uh, A&W, <laughs> A&W, root beer. Now, that's my personal conviction. If you like, you know, mug, root beer, I, I respect that, you know. If you like B-U-D, you know, I, I can respect that, you know. Whatever you drink, right, don't be controlled by it. Some of you root beer fans, this is for you. This is, this is why you're here today, to hear this. All uh, right? And don't cause somebody else to stumble. So I'm, I'm at this beer-drinking adult-only pool party. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Uh, and I'm asking myself, you know, what do I have in common with these people? What do I have in common with them? You know, I'm looking around, and I, and I recognize one guy, one guy I know. His name is Jeff, and I met him actually a couple weeks ago. Uh, because they invited people to come out and help get the pool ready, clean it up. And so a couple weeks ago, I'm there and I'm helping and I'm working alongside Jeff and we're cleaning out all the sludge at the bottom of the pool and we got, you know, pumps and it was messy and dirty and he's dropping the F-bomb every other word, you know, every other word, F-bomb this, F that, F that, everything, F, F, you know what I mean? And so, and then he says, so what do you do? <laughs> <sighs> it when they ask that question <laughs> because part of me wants to say you know you know part of my 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 deal here is i deliver people from dropping the f-bomb if you ask me that question because that's what happens every time so i said i'm a pastor at a church and my goodness this guy he just act like a totally different guy you know <laughs> and and I just, I wish he would just be the guy he is, far from Jesus, and not fake it, right? Just like I don't want Christians to fake it, right? Just, listen, let's not expect lost people to act like saved people. 
So anyway, that was kind of a bummer. I want to say, you know, I work for one of the largest nonprofit organizations in the world. And our retirement plan is out of this world. You know, I mean, I want to say something like that. Just kind of make it a little, you know, and they're like, what? What's that? You know? So I just told them what I do. So, you know, I'm, I'm here at this pool party. What do I have in common with everybody? You know, the, we, we all are members of the pool. We all brought our own beer. And that's about all we had in common. Right? You know, I am not this late night party, extrovert, lonely guy looking for a party on a Friday night. Uh, we don't have the same values. So why am I, why am I there? Here's why I went. Because Jesus didn't say hide from all the world. He said, go into all the world. Now, for me, it was right for me to go. Now, maybe for you, that would not have been the place. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to meet my neighbors where they live. And if this is their life, I'm going to invite myself. Well, they they invited me actually into their life. I'm going to go and I'm going to meet some people and build some relationships. So I met some neighbors that I hadn't met before. And here we go. So our goal for this summer series, um, culture shock, is to turn those cultural challenges that we face every day into missional opportunities. Uh, Friday night was a, uh, a cultural experience for me. Uh, it wasn't a um, culture shock to me, but it was certainly outside of the Christian bubble that I spend most of my life in. And uh, it was good. So before we begin, um, we look at scripture here today. I want to define the word culture. Uh, We are turning cultural challenges into missional opportunities. So the word culture is a very difficult word to define because um, it has had different definitions over the centuries. Uh, It's had an agricultural meaning to it, a a biological or a a, a chemistry type of definition to it. But it also has this social definition to it. And I want to look at it today. Uh, Wikipedia says this culture is the social behavior and norms found in human societies. Culture is the social behavior and norms found in human society. That's a very simple definition. A gentleman by the name of Lloyd Quast, who was a contributing author in the book called Perspectives, Some of you are familiar with that. He explains how culture is actually shaped in layers. And I think this helps us understand culture when we're thinking about culture. So culture is shaped in these layers. And on the outside layer of culture are behaviors. Behaviors are those things that that we do. So when we're, we're going to India or into a different culture, the first thing that we observe are behaviors. We see what people do. Every culture uh, has observable behaviors, but below those behaviors is another layer, and that layer is called values, okay? And below that are beliefs, and at the core of every culture is a worldview. A worldview is simply how we see reality, okay? And everybody has their own worldview or picture of reality, and that, that picture of reality is, is a, a totality of our Uh, Our beliefs, our values, and our behaviors. Are you with me today? So we are looking at the the cultural challenges, the the behaviors, the values, the beliefs that are within our culture. And we're saying, how can we turn those challenges into missional opportunities for God? Now, cultural challenges, this is very interesting, change from culture to culture. So we are a multicultural church, right? Which has its own set of challenges. 
that, that are awesome, by the way. So some of you, um, the, the culture you came from, the country of origin you came from has its own set of cultural challenges. Then you come to America and you realize, wow, these are very different cultural challenges here. We have friends who have lived in America now for about 14 years from India, and they go back to India almost every year. And they have realized that in the last 14 years, the cultural challenges in India have changed dramatically. The, uh, the 60s that we experienced here in America, they are now experiencing in India. Okay? So they didn't have those for many years. Now they have those kinds of cultural challenges. So cultural challenges change from one culture to another. They, cultural challenges also change from one generation to another. How many of you know the, the cultural challenges that maybe you grow up with if you're an adult um, are different than the cultural challenges that our children are facing today? Uh, when I grew up, um, um, the Sabbath day uh, the, was interpreted as Sunday and it was kept holy. It was separated and dedicated to God. And every Sunday, we did no work around our home uh, except for making dinner and cleaning up dinner. Everything else, it was nap time. It was look at the birds sing. It was go for the country drive, you know, but we did nothing. And uh, our family would occasionally, we, I grew up in New Jersey, first 10 years of my life. And uh, sometimes we would drive a couple hours to Ocean Grove uh, along the Atlantic coast. And it was this this beach community, and uh, we would go there over a weekend, and on Sundays, everything would shut down. You could not drive your car on the streets. The only vehicles allowed were the medical, the emergency medical vehicles, and everything shut down on Sunday, and Sunday was this sacred day, and it was this holy day, and you had to walk to the church or walk to the beach, and, and it was this kind of thing. And now today, Ocean Grove is this big beach party scene, and that's totally changed from, from when I grew up. But so many things have changed from generation to generation. Uh, living together, uh, cohabitation was was uh, It was a hidden thing when I was a child, and now it's out there in the open, and everybody seems to be doing it. Uh, Out-of-marriage pregnancies. Back in the day when I was a kid and somebody got pregnant, it was hush-hush, and it was tried to keep private, and all of this and that. Now, now it's very open, and 51% of women having babies today are having babies outside of marriage. Um, the standard of living has... The perception of what a, 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 a new family should have as a home has changed. How many of you know that your kids feel like now they have to move into a house that's like mom and dad's, right? Their first home. Um, cultural challenges that we face in America are changing very, very rapidly. Even within the last decade, um, sexual identity has come to the front and homosexuality, it's it's um, it's now widely accepted in many circles. Uh, same gender marriage is now law. There's so many things that have changed and culture is always changing. Now, if you've spent much time in Christian circles, you've probably heard of the phrase in the world, but not of the world. How many of you have heard that phrase? Christians are in the world, but we are not of the world. It's actually a phrase that comes out of John chapter 17. Uh, a place where Jesus was praying for his disciples before he went to the cross. And it's a very interesting passage. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to John 17 today. And we're going to look at it. 
And we're going to notice that this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 actually addressed the kind of relationship that his followers should have with culture. And as we look at this passage today, we are soon going to discover that this phrase in the world, but not of the world, is only the starting point that Jesus expects his disciples to have with the culture around them. So John chapter 17, verse 13 Let's look at this phrase in the world, but not of the world. Let's look at it within context. It is true. It's a true statement, but it is not complete. And we're going to see that this morning. So John 17, verse 13, Jesus was praying to the father and he said this. He said, I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Pause there for a moment and look at that one more time. He said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Can I tell you, the the world that we live in does not like the word of God. And if you embrace the word of God, most of the time our world, our culture will not embrace you. It will bring some separation. Jesus said, for they are not of the world. There's that phrase. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. I want to define what this word world means. There are at least three meanings attached to the word world. First, the Bible says that there is this created world. The Bible says that God made the world and everything in it. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Secondly, there are the inhabitants of this world whom God loves and for whom Christ died. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And third, the Greek word cosmos, world, refers to a world system that is ruled by Satan and is hostile toward God. And when Jesus said, you are not of this world any more than I am not of this world, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about cosmos. He was talking about this, this, uh, this um, world system that is ruled by Satan and that is hostile towards God. First John chapter 5, verse 19, it says this. It says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is under the control of Of the evil one. Did you know that? Did you know that? So when Jesus said they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He was saying to believers that we are physically present in this world. But we are no longer under the control of Satan. We are no longer under the control of the evil one. We're no longer under the control of sin. We're no longer governed by the world's values or value system. We're no longer controlled by its lust for pleasure and greed and power. We've been set free from those things. We're no longer under the control of those things. The Apostle Paul, he went on to describe uh, what, what it was like when we were under the control of this world. And he describes it like this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Let me just read it to you. He said, as for you, he said, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. In the way in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. How many of you remember the day you followed the ways of this world? Some of you today are still kind of in the middle of that and sorting that out. 
He said this, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Can I tell you that you had a ruler and his name was Satan until Jesus set you free? He says the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So we needed to be delivered from this world. We needed to be delivered from the the prince or the ruler of the air. And Paul also spoke of that in Colossians chapter one, verse 13. He said this, he said, for he, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into another kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves. So what Paul is saying is, as we have been delivered from one kingdom where Satan is the ruler. And all of his ways and all of his ideas are contrary and hostile towards God. We have been rescued from this kingdom and we have been placed in a new kingdom with a new ruler. And his name is Jesus. And I'm glad today that I have been rescued. Are you glad today you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son he loves? And Jesus said this, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. And I don't know about you, but in the election last fall, the the presidential election and all those elections going on, I feel this way every time we have an election. I feel like I don't fit in this kingdom over here. I don't fit in the Democratic kingdom. I don't fit in the Republican kingdom. I don't fit in the Green Party. I don't fit. I don't fit in this kingdom because Jesus said, you're not of that kingdom anymore. You're in this kingdom here. I can't align with this party. I can't align with this kingdom. There's something in me that can't totally come into agreement with it because I'm no longer of this kingdom. I'm of this kingdom over here. And we're kind of caught in the middle, it feels like, between two kingdoms. And I think God intended it to be that way. Because that's what ambassadors do, right? They communicate for one kingdom into another kingdom. And we're kind of caught in between these two kingdoms. And I believe that's what it means to be salt and light. So um, now Jesus begins to pray. Back to to, uh, John chapter 17. Jesus begins to pray. Notice the three things he's praying for. Verse number 15, he says this. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them. From the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. I love that. Verse 16. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. And then he prays this. Sanctify them. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself. That they too may be truly sanctified. So here's big picture. Jesus is praying to the Father, and three things jump out to me. He prays, protect them. He prays, sanctify them. And then he prays, or actually makes a statement, send them. Send them. We're talking this next month about the sending piece. Okay? 
how to take cultural challenges and turn them into missional opportunities. But before we go to that send piece, I want to back up two steps and I want to lay a foundation. Jesus first prayed that we would be protected. He said, Father, protect them, sanctify them, then send them. Are you with me this morning? So let's start with protect them. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them. Watch this from the evil one. Notice that Jesus did not pray that they would be protected from this world or protected from the culture. Can I tell you this morning that culture is not the enemy? The people that live in the cultures that we live in are not the enemy. It's very clear Jesus is praying, protect them from very specifically the evil one. Satan is our enemy. He is the enemy. Turn to your spouse and say, you're not the enemy. Your boss is not the enemy, right? Those who see differently than you are not the enemy. Those who have a different worldview than you, different party view, they are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy uh, and he influences people and he influences culture to draw people away from God. Okay, he's been doing that from the beginning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Let me read it to you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Can we get that? Can we get that? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay. Satan, the ruler of this world, he is he's very powerful. He's very strategic. The Bible says that he has schemes. The Bible says that he has come to steal, kill and destroy and to lead people away from the life, the abundant life that God has. The Bible says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody that that he can devour. What's interesting here is the Bible is very, very. Explicit. That we have an enemy and his name is Satan. But what's interesting is that there was a survey done in 2009 by the Barna Research Group. And that survey in 2009, check this out, revealed that 40% of Christians of Christians agree that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. So here we have it. Jesus is praying that we are protected from the evil one. Yet 40% of people who say I'm a Christian don't believe that the evil one actually exists. How many of you think that might set Satan at a little bit of an advantage? Right? How many of you know you got a problem if you don't know the problem is Satan? And so that's the problem. That's the, the ruler of this world. That's who we do battle against. It's not the person that disagrees with us. It's not our culture that we're in a battle with. It is Satan behind our culture, behind those things that he's influencing. We must keep that in mind. So Jesus is asking Father, protect them from the evil one. Now, let me ask you this. What happened um, to the 11 apostles? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, not Acts. That's not one of the apostles. What happened to the 11 apostles? They died. They died a martyr's death. And yet Jesus is praying for the father to protect them from the evil one. Did the father not hear Jesus's prayer? What happened? What kind of protection was Jesus asking for? Certainly, certainly if the father heard his prayer, protect them 
from the evil one. I think God gives us some insight into into the what kind of protection Jesus was asking for in verse number 11. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, go back a few verses to John 17, verse 11. We'll show it to you on the screen. And I think Jesus gives some insight. Jesus prays this. He says, Holy Father, he says, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Why? So they may be one as we are one. Protect them from the evil one. Why? So they may be one as we are one. Satan is always seeking to divide. He's seeking to divide families, you know this, and marriages, churches, nations. He's always seeking to divide and separate. But his number one goal is to separate people from God. To separate people from God. And when Jesus prayed, Father, protect them that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is not praying for the unity within the body of Christ. He's praying that the body of Christ would be in unity with Christ. Let me put it this way. Jesus is praying that we, the church, would have the same kind of oneness with Jesus as Jesus had with the Father. Now, I love church unity. I love crossing over denominational lines. I love doing love can and outreach together. But Jesus is praying here. I'm praying that they, the church, my followers, my disciples, that they would have the kind of oneness that I have with you, Father. That they would have that kind of oneness with me where we think the same and we feel the same and we do the same. He's praying for this kind of oneness. And Jesus saying, Father, protect them from the evil one. Why? Because they need to be one with the Father. They need to be one with the Son. This is very, very important. We can't miss this today. I mentioned in the first service that I have learned that Satan, he can read. He can read. He can read the Bible. He knows what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine. And he was telling his disciples, and you are the branches. He said, if a man remains in me, he will what? He will bear much fruit. And then Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, if a man does not remain in me, he said that he is he's is thrown away and he's withers. He said, but if a man remains in me and my words remain in him, he can ask whatever he wishes and it will be granted to him. Can I tell you today that Satan's number one goal is to keep you from remaining and abiding in Jesus. That's his number one goal. Your daily abiding relationship with Jesus is Satan's worst nightmare. If he can keep you out of fellowship with God, if he can keep you away from the word of God, if he can keep you out of fellowship with God, walking with him every day, if he can keep you out of that, then you can do nothing. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. So he fights for unity with Jesus. He fights for oneness. He fights for abiding. And Jesus prayed, Father, protect them by the name that you gave them. Protect them so that that we can stay one. So that we can be one as you and I are, are one. Satan is fighting for union. Let me ask you this morning, are you fighting for union? 
Are you fighting for that abiding time with God? Is that something that you are protecting? That you are defending? I don't care if it's an appointment you have to put on your calendar. I don't care if you have to close your door and ignore your kids for an hour. They'll survive. They may be bleeding and all that after you, but they're going to survive. You know, are you fighting for that time with God? Are you fighting for that kind of oneness? Having the same heart and the same mind as God. Are you fighting for that or have you given up? It takes a fight. It's a fight, let me tell you. And Satan is fighting that. He'll do whatever he can to distract you, even good things. And Jesus prayed, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. So the first thing Jesus prays is protect them. Somebody say it. Protect them. Then he prays, sanctify them. John 17, 15. Sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means set apart. Set apart for a special use. What does it mean to be set apart? For a special use. Jeremiah, before he was born, God said, I've set you apart from birth to be a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even born, God had separated him, had sanctified him, had set him apart for a specific assignment. The Old Testament priests, they were consecrated and they were sanctified. They were set apart for a specific purpose. Can I tell you, you are a kingdom of priests today and God has set you apart for a specific purpose. Before he sends you out, he sets you apart. He sanctifies you. He separates you from that which is common, that which is evil. And he sanctifies you and separates you and dedicates you for the purposes of God. You have been set apart for God's purposes. And Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them, set them apart. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians that that says, come out from among them and be separate. In some religious circles, they have taken that to mean separatism and they've become separatists. And they have taken their beliefs and their values and they have created their own little communities and their own little bubbles. And they never leave those communities because they want to protect and they want to preserve their values and their beliefs. So their interpretation is come out and be separate is is just live in your little bubble. But that's not at all what Jesus meant. Jonathan Morrow in his book called Think Christianly, he wrote this. He said, due to the unprecedented influence and the availability of constant media, and how many of you know there's plenty of constant media today? He said the thoughts and the attitudes, the perceptions, the convictions, the values, and the lifestyles of those inside the church are rapidly growing indistinguishable from the thoughts, attitudes, perceptions, convictions, values, and lifestyles of those outside the church. He said this, or to put it bluntly, out there is already in here. The worldview out there is the worldview in here. Take, for example, teenagers in America, he writes. There are approximately 33 million teenagers in America today. They're taking over the world. Well, back in 2005, there was this this national study done on teenagers, on youth and religion. And it was the most detailed, it was the largest and most detailed study on the American teenager and religion that has ever been done. In the findings of this study, they were published in a book called Soul Searching by Christian Smith and Melinda Denton. And here are some of the findings that they, they discovered. 
they found that students were remarkably inarticulate about their faith. They could talk with precision and detail about pop culture, about social media, and other topics, but when it came to talking about the basic tenets of their faith, what they actually believed, they were not able to say much at all. And here's what they discovered, that regardless of their professed religion, regardless of that, here's what God looks like to the majority of American teenagers. One, God exists who created and orders the world. That's good. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. Not bad. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. We'll keep moving. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And finally, the last one, good people go to heaven when they die. All right. So God is this this sort of a nebulous combination of divine butler and cosmic therapist. Right. Waiting on you hand and foot, doing whatever it takes to make you feel better that day. That's the American teenagers view of God. All right. Now, it's hardly the vision for the life that Jesus offers his would be followers. Right. It's so much more different now. Jonathan Morrow, he, he says this. He says, we live in a time in which Christians are more consumer-driven than truth-driven. We're more consumer-driven than truth-driven. Perhaps that's why Jesus prays this prayer in John chapter 17. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We are more consumer-driven than truth-driven. And Jesus said this. He says, if we're going to be sanctified, if we're going to be separated and dedicated to the purposes of God, if that's going to happen, then we have to embrace the Word of God. We have to embrace the Word of God. I read this the other day as well as another statistic. I know you'll love this one. They say the average uh, American today watches 1,800 hours of um, television a year. 75 days worth of television a year. 75 days of some type of TV media a year. We cannot imagine that that is not shaping our worldview in some way. It is shaping our reality. It's shaping what we believe, what we value, and how we behave. And Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So before we can be sent out, we have to be sanctified. We have to be separated. We have to be set apart. And the word of God, listen carefully, the word of God is what separates us. The word of God is what sanctifies us. The word of God establishes how we view reality. The word of God establishes our, our beliefs and our values and our behaviors. And once we are, we're called out, right, from among them and be separate, we're called out to be what? Sanctified. We're called out to get a new set of beliefs, values, and behaviors. And then we're called back in with those new set of beliefs, values, and behaviors. And a lot of times we want to jump to the, the sending part. And I'm all about the sending part. But we're pausing today and we're saying, how important is the word of God in our lives? If we spend 75 hours or 75 days, rather, a year in, the, in, 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 in television and media, what if we spent that kind of time studying the word of God? I know that sounds pretty crazy, right? 
Only pastors do that, right? (laughs) I don't know. Finally, Jesus prays and he said to the father, he said this, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We have been called out to get a new set of beliefs, values and behaviors, and then we are called back in. And that's where we are today. Next week, we're going to pick up more on the the sent out part and what that looks like. But we have been called out of the kingdom of this world only to be sent back in but sent back in with truth, with God's word. We need to move as a church from the defensive to the offensive. I feel like the the church in America has taken a defensive posture on truth where we're defending it and we're we're, we're getting people angry and, and the church perhaps is known more for what it doesn't like and what it hates than what it loves. And that needs to change if we're going to reach our world. We need to move from the us against them mentality to the us for them mentality. We need to move from isolation, isolation to integration. This is what it's about. How many of you have seen the the old movie Finding Nemo, right? The Gulf Stream. It's this current that flows in the Atlantic Ocean. And if you've watched the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But Christians are like the Gulf Stream found in the Atlantic Ocean. It's in the ocean, yet it's not part of the ocean. It's this mysterious current that defies the mighty Atlantic. It ignores the tides and it flows steadily on its own course. Its color is different. It's a deeper blue. Its temperature is different. It's actually warmer in the Gulf Stream. And its direction is different. It runs from south to north. It's in the ocean, and yet it's not part of the ocean. And I believe that's a great picture. The Gulf Stream's a great picture of, of the church in our world today. We have a different temperature. We have a different color. We're flowing in a different direction. The currents don't drive us. Are you with me today? I want you to stand to your feet if you would. And I want to I pray with you today as we launch out into this series and this discussion. And I want to say that today is considered just the beginning of this discussion of what it looks like to be protected, to be sanctified and to be sent out. I want to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed to the father in John 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, Father, by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Father, I thank you for your word today. God, help us to navigate these waters of where Christianity and culture intersect. God, I pray that we would value sanctification, being set apart like you value it, God. God, I pray that we would value truth, the word of God, perhaps more than we have in the past. And as we're praying, I just... 
I just want you to hear what God may be saying to you about being sanctified. Maybe there's an area of your life that that you need to separate from. There's a way of thinking, there's a behavior, there's something that's displeasing to God that that you need to repent from today. And you need to say, you know what? I am not going to, with God's help, I'm not going to live that way anymore. God, I repent of that sin. God, forgive me of that, that sin. Forgive me of that, of that thing that displeases you. Maybe today the Spirit of God may be talking to you about the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God in your life. Maybe today you would want to make a fresh commitment to the Word of God and say, you know, for the next 30 days, I'm going to read God's Word to help change the way that I think and the way I live. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you for this church, Glad Tidings. And I thank you, God, that it's not my church and it's not our church. God, it's your church and you're building it. And God, I pray that you would protect us. And God, that you would sanctify us and that you would send us into this world to make disciples of all nations. I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to encourage our prayer workers to come forward today. If you need prayer, uh, you're facing a challenge in your life, God is here to meet you in that challenge. Allow our prayer team to pray with you. If you're here today and you know in your heart you're not right with God, maybe you prayed earlier today when we were praying, but if you haven't and you want to pray with somebody, our prayer workers are available. If you're far from God, allow us to pray with you. Allow us to help you in that prayer of repentance and get right with God.